Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro. David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Oh, welcome back into the House of Mystery. We are at the interview part of the show. Um, joining us today, we have um, an author, and uh, he's just got a f- fantastic background. So um, I- I'm just wanting to talk to him a lot. So uh, welcome, Jeff Simon. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Jeff, um, you've got all this stuff going on now. Uh, your website, uh, Forensics for Fiction and all that stuff. Uh, where did you start with this whole um, writing books and and forensics and all this stuff. Where where did that start for you? Um, I am a, uh, f- a federal uh, forensic investigator and have been for twenty some odd years. And uh, I then <laughs> I then uh, started living with a writer, and uh, he would ask me all of those uh, important questions of what's the best way that I could kill somebody in this scene? Or <laughs> how would you dispose of this body? And uh, Great he, uh, through him, I sort of was introduced into the writing community. And it was very shortly after that that I started uh, receiving invitations to speak at different conferences or different courses or whatnot. And uh, as I would teach, uh, I would have many a writer come up to me and say, you know, I would love it if I could just have what you're saying on my desk as a reference so I could flip back to it. And I got enough people saying that that it actually didn't seem that far-fetched anymore. And so I started doing a little bit of research of what's out there on sort of accessible forensic topics for uh, somebody who wanted to do a little bit of research. And 
there are there are some good there are there are some there's some good material out there, but a lot of the material falls in one of two camps. I found they're either way 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 overly technical. They are the the technical manuals that the actual forensic person who's out in the field is studying, right? Or they're complete fluff that somebody who's never even you know, spelled forensics besides looking up what TV show is on next, yeah. um, decided that they read an article once and now they're going to write a book. And, you know, there's still, there's still good information out there, but, but I found a lot of those just didn't have any depth or just was really veering sort of in the wrong direction of how things actually were. And so I decided, what if I aimed for the middle ground? What if I created a series uh, specifically directed at the author or somebody who wanted to do research that wasn't overly technical, but still was accessible. That gave them the correct information, but was manageable in a research type of, uh, of study so that they didn't have to go out and do these things themselves, but they could speak knowledgeably about it, use the jargon that we use out in the field and know what the actual techniques are. And so that's where Forensics for Fiction that series was was uh, born, I guess, and uh, and my idea was every every book would focus on a specific forensic topic. Right, I, I find that interesting because um, now is it mainly fiction authors that come to you, or do true crime authors as well? I've had some true crime authors come to me. Um, my husband writes fiction, and so my introduction into the world of authors is primarily fiction. But but I get all sorts of people coming and asking questions. I get romance writers coming and asking me questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> giving dating advice—that's <laughs> exactly. Well, that's crazy. No, because I, I I've thought about that because I, I've been all true crime. So it's it's interesting because. Um, it, it, it's something that could probably help me understand some of the aspects of what I'm writing about rather than just kind of guessing or winging it, you know? Sure. Um, fiction always, uh, that totally uh, impresses me because I, where, do they, where do these writers come up with the complete theme and people and characters? And some of them do it so well, right? Like they, they, they've got really well-developed characters and they create a whole story. Um, I find that amazing. I'm right there with you. I'm so impressed with people who have that skill, that talent, and who have uh, developed that muscle where the story is just right there for you. That's It's, it's an amazing talent. Do you think there's a reason why um, true crime's been so popular, especially in the last you know, five, ten years or so, it's just, it keeps, it's booming, you know? I think, I think crime sort of has always been uh, of interest. It's, it is a step into where most people are unfamiliar, yet it can add excitement or titillation or, hey, I got to say titillation, or, um, <laughs> you know, just some sort of, um, access to a type of entertainment that that isn't the norm right yeah. and i think that we always see some sort of crime if you go all the way back to perry mason on tv or the agatha christie books back then right yeah. but i really think crime became front and center with the sort of the explosion of the um cable networks 
And that was specifically seen by two cases, two true crime cases, and that would be O.J. Simpson and JonBenet Ramsey. Yeah. Because O.J. Simpson was considered the crime of the century, and from O.J. Simpson we got court TV, right? Yep. And uh, you suddenly had this entire audience of people, this nation, which became an audience of people, that were sitting there watching a court case. Do you know how dull a court case can be? Yeah. And we had these people <laughs> tuning in for hours on end watching uh, our judicial system happen. And I think that sort of planted seeds that we are now seeing the fruits of, right? Um, and a year after the the trial of the century, which is O.J. Simpson, almost a year after, we had John Benet Ramsey. And that was another... Um, it's interesting, John Benet Ramsey, because I, I'm, I need to speak for uh, the United States, because I've done some teaching overseas, and th- it surprised me they weren't as familiar with the John Benet ca- case as we are here. But at least in the United States, Americans were just overly fascinated with this with this case and i think from that we get this um desire for uh, a, a true a true crime fix Is, you see what i'm saying yeah 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 certainly certainly what what do you think people get wrong most oh <laughs> oh, we all, yeah, we only have an hour so I guess. This, this is just an hour okay um so I, I have some pet peeves, but I have one pet peeve in particular. And you see it a lot in, in fiction. Um, true crime, I, I would hope they would uh, get it a little bit more correct. But m- probably my biggest pet peeve when I, am, when I am reading a case or watching something on TV or as a movie is when somebody will do a time of death estimate. Yeah. <laughs> oftentimes, I mean... It, if you're lucky, it'll be the coroner or medical examiner. If you're not so lucky, it'll just be a random doctor. But most of the times, it's just the it's just whatever cop or law enforcement is on the scene, and they'll come in and they'll be like, "Yeah, this person died between one and one twelve a.m." That just never, ever, ever happens. You are never that specific. You are lucky. You are lucky if you can have that window, which, by the way, is a guess, but that time window be in hours. I mean, you're stretching it most times if you're within an eight-hour window, and you're probably better off if you say this person probably died in these several days but for somebody to say that they died within a 12 minute window is yeah i it's hard for me to continue with that story well that's a problem with all of entertainment (laughs) true crime entertainment or or crime entertainment if you watch something like csi you know don't get me wrong it's probably an entertaining show in a lot of ways but on that show they seem to be able to find your dna if you just thought about going into a room you know absolutely they, and they get the results in an hour and you know well don't you know i mean surely you've watched bones so surely you know every forensic <laughs> investigator out there has holograms that we can just flip <laughs> yeah, around yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and access to every database in the world and <laughs> it, i can walk on any crime scene i want to walk on you know all that's real yeah. legit no yeah. <laughs> probably the most legit thing i see on tv is that we are all gorgeous people <laughs> <laughs> well there you go i knew it i knew there was something good oh um it's so um well that's another thing you know um how about testifying in court cases so yeah. someone someone that has expertise such as yourself and and uh, you see certain people that have come forward and now they become regular 
um, consultants on TV shows and series and documentaries and I'm sure in all the court cases and it's the same people over and over and they become idolized but is that really kind of a good thing? Oh, I know you don't want to talk about people in particular but I'm just saying that um, I'll tell you why I don't mean to interrupt you I'm sorry but uh, I'll I'll tell you why I say it depends Um, it depends on why they are testifying because Mm -hmm. unfortunately we have some quote unquote experts for hire out there right and so they are there just because the money is good but if they are sticking with the science and if they are explaining why their expert opinion is valid in that particular situation, even if it's something that goes against what um, the direction you think the case should be going in, um, that's valid. And and if they're using television appearances to build their resume so that they have access to that group of experts, I don't fault that, but that's not always the norm uh a lot of people who are who are doing the the tv appearances are doing it because um they are hired to give a certain point of view not an expert point of view yeah and i think that's what i'm sort of getting at it seems to be um that most of these especially cases that become really popular but it, it you know where each side has their expert witnesses and how each side can have an expert that has a complete different uh, uh, take on what happened, and they're both supposed to be scientific. Right. Um, Now, the fun part of forensics is you do, it's based in science, which is what I love, but where differences can legitimately occur is in the interpretation of the science to the scene. Okay, if if you see what I'm saying. And so I can do a blood spatter analysis and another person could do blood spatter analysis and we can come up with the same results. And then I can say, well, a possible scenario where these results fit is this scenario. And somebody else can come up and say, well, I have another scenario where the this result fits. And so it is possible to have different uh, opinions, but that's where we need to be careful in this country. Which w- the 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 um, skill that we've lost is the skill of discussion and the the skill of of being able to be open to a, a different interpretation. When you're talking about the science, that's that's where I'll make a stand because the science is often sound, and most times that science shows what had to have happened. But I'm just I'm just saying there there can be a possibility where more than one action could have produced the same result. Am I making sense? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I just I, I just bring it up because it seems like every court case that's out there, um, you know, you hear things on the media, and of course it's it's sound bites, and and you know, I mean, we're in it. So, but I think that what happens is you so you hear something and you think this is kind of what. The evidence is, and then all of a sudden the court, you know, which is on TV and it gets talked about every day, they have the, you know, the defense has a expert that has a totally different, you know, uh, reasoning. Exactly. And, and it just sort of always, well, how can that be so different? And, uh, yeah, it's all an in interpretation, I guess. 
Well, and, and isn't and, that also, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, I was just going to ask you, isn't that sort of a leftover in some ways from that whole OJ era where all these people became talking heads during that who were absolutely. on the nightly news and they bring on somebody for this side, you know, somebody for the defense, somebody for the prosecution to argue that, and then we sort of became used to that and invested in that and all those talking heads then went out and did the same thing with other cases and now we sort of have this idea that, Everything is an adversarial discussion when in many ways, you know, the facts should get people to agree. Exactly. But that same case, that O.J. Simpson case, did a lot for this country's perspectives, attitudes, and really how um, law enforcement acts and how the judicial system reacts. And what I mean by that is, do you know that in the O.J. Simpson trial, that the defense never said that O.J. didn't do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, they, their goal was not to give him an alibi. Their goal was not to, quote-unquote, prove his innocence. Their goal was simply, and they did it expertly, was simply to put a question mark over every piece of evidence. That's because right. in this country... In the judicial system, if you have a, a felony crime and it's a criminal court case, our uh, burden of proof that we the, – the threshold we have to meet with the evidence we present is called beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they can introduce a reasonable doubt, then you can't consider that evidence. And if they can put a question mark over every single piece of evidence – then suddenly you don't have anything to consider. And if you don't have anything to consider, you can only come back with one ruling. And let's be specific here. Not guilty does not mean innocent. It means we could not prove guilt. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so what, I don't what, know where I, where I got off on that tangent, but there no, you go. Well, you, you go. You just <laughs> no. I was just wondering about. So, what's your opinion on trial by media? Then you know the whole idea of everything being te- televised. When we talk about the O.J. Simpson case, and the things they did to Marsha Clark, and the things they did to Judge Edo, not right or wrong, but uh, right through to Jody Arias and and again Martinez and Nermi. Um, I, I just wonder how. Can they perform their jobs adequately when every day is a media circus and they're talking about you on TV and they're making fun of you on Saturday Night Live and they're, you know, did, did you change your hair? Did you uh, put on weight? Why is he yep. wearing that tie? How can you actually perform properly when you've got the whole country watching? Yeah, it's, it's, I have very strong opinions about this and, um, I don't want to say I'm right. P.S. I am. Um, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to come across that way. But uh, I, my entire career has been in law enforcement, and so I have a very strict opinion on on the scenarios you're bringing up. Being that I don't think the public should know anything about anything until it's said and done, because all that can do is hurt my investigation if the investigation's still going on, mm-hmm. and. All it can do during a court case is have, and we boy do we see it in the present day, is have these armchair behind a cube, uh, computer screen expert that they self dub themselves as the expert on this, and then suddenly it's it's 
their opinion and this is how it goes. And it gets really difficult to to have a case of innocent until proven guilty if the entire country has decided on guilt. Our entire judicial system is set up on this person is not guilty unless you prove it. And it's not proven until the verdict comes in. And so basically all we're doing by televising all this is giving the public an entertainment fix. And some people may argue that the entertain, entertaining the public is an important and valid way to go. And I would say, in my opinion, we don't need that because I don't need to know what Joe Smith from Alabama opinion is on my case. I need to worry about getting the best evidence I can and helping the prosecutor present their best case um, to see what a jury thinks about it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the jury is made up of you know, Joe Smith from Alabama, but unless he's there in the courtroom, all this talk on social media and and the news reports and the Nancy Graces and all this other stuff just don't don't get all started do, on Nancy Grace. I know all it, all it can do is skew public opinion, and I just don't see the benefit of that. Especially if you take it a step further, and we saw this in the John Benet Ramsey case. Um, you know, our DAs, our, our district attorneys, are elected officials, and uh, a sheriff is an elected official. And if you have the public being swayed by a public opinion because they have half a story, because they're watching whatever they're watching, that becomes a real thing to these people who are supposed to be, whose interest is supposed to be justice. But now suddenly their interest is, oh, I want to keep my job because they think that the case should go this way. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, and the Internet has also taken it uh, to a new level. Like when you were saying armchair detectives, um, we have so many people out there involved in all of these cases via social media, but most of them have never left their neighborhood. Exactly. They haven't been to the crime scene. They haven't met the people involved. They haven't been through the court documents. They're they're just not involved. It's just whatever they can find on the internet. And and and, but that seems to be a really valid point for them. They believe that makes them know what they're talking about. I'm an expert. You know. I also realize. I also realize I may be coming across as a little bit bitter. And I'm certain that Joe Smith in Alabama is a fantastic fella. <laughs> no, he's in Alabama. And all the hate mail goes to Michael Blennerfield, so don't worry about it. Thanks, Al. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask you about how does that all play into the resurgence of true crime interest, people playing detective. That's a big part of it, too. Um, people want to be involved. They want to think that they're going to solve this case. So the the material that you provide... I'm I'm a writer, and I've always depended on people to help me understand a lot of these issues because, you know, the whole issue of forensics has changed drastically in the last twenty something years. Um, it's not like in the '70s where it's just fingerprints and whatever. Um, but how much do you think uh, the public interest? Are not whatever. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, you know, it used to be a lot easier for a writer to to write out a crime story because the the parameters the 
it was much a smaller issue in that way. But once you start talking about DNA and forensic genealogy and so many of the other techniques that are being used, how how do you keep up with that? And how do you keep, how do you keep people informed on what they need to know about what's going on right now? Sort of a multi-layered question. Um, (laughs) uh, So I may come of it from a couple different sides, if that's all right with you guys. Um, So, I've got I've got so many things going in my head. So let me let me break down the topics. I've got my job and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I've got the court case and what we present, and I've got the writer themselves and what sort of responsibilities do they have. And so <laughs> I am what I do with writers, especially with my forensic for fiction, is I try to give them access so that they can have accuracy in their writing. And I want them to have accuracy, and their audience and their readers demand accuracy. But there are times that I don't want it to go so far that it's so accurate that the, the term I say to the authors is that your your book for entertainment becomes an instruction manual. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> um, that we are actually teaching uh, criminals how to get away with stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and. And I don't think that happens a lot, but I think there are certain things in which that could happen. For example, I have a I, I will never give a consult for anything that has to be specifics about building an explosive. I think that doesn't. Oh, yeah. I think that you can put a bomb in a story and talk about the aftermath of a bomb in a story, and that's fine. But if you talk about your character going and buying ingredients or your character building a device, I think that crosses a line. Yeah. And I think that is too accurate because at that point you are an instruction manual. Um, so as far as that's concerned, and you know, sometimes we have all, a lot of shows on how does an interrogation happen, how does an interview happen, and there are a lot of valid techniques that we use that are now out there in fiction, and that makes my job harder because it just makes our criminals smarter, right? right. And so there's that side of things. But I am also a proponent for accuracy in your writing, and I don't, I don't want you in your writing to be like, well, we had him handcuffed to a chair and a light over his head, and and we slapped yeah, him around, rubber hose. That is not accurate, and that is not what we do. So there is a line there, right? But in the realm of of the 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 courts. Um, there are some people that believe in it, and there's some people that don't believe in it. I will only talk on my experience, and what I'm ta- what I'm specifically referring to is what some people call the CSI effect. And what they mm-hmm. what they mean when they say the CSI effect is that the TV shows like CSI and NCIS and Bones and name one of the 2006 forensic shows that are out there right now um, have sort of educated the normal person that we now have on our jury and they sort of mislead these people to into thinking that if i use my example from earlier um that we all have you know holographic images that we can just pull up and turn around and and why didn't you get your dna the next dna results the next day like they do on tv and yeah and yeah. that sort of thing and there's an expectation now from a jury that if you don't provide that kind of evidence because let me tell you something, sometimes the evidence is not there. Mm-hmm. If you don't provide that specific type of evidence, uh, they they use that in an assessment of credibility. Okay? Um, so, 
So it's a funny question you ask because I feel like accuracy should be involved in writing and I feel like it enhances your writing. It, it, it sort of establishes an audience for you. It, um, it propels your story. And I think all these are really good things. And I feel like, um, we in law enforcement shouldn't rest on our laurels and, and we should, uh, try to stay one step ahead of that, but we shouldn't hinder that. But I also have this strong feeling that we should not be an instruction manual. So that's, that's sort of where I'm falling on that. Hmm. So I wonder how I'm going to figure out how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) There are two, there are two main things that I, that I want to hit every time I go out and teach authors in, in person. And the, the second thing I always hit is coincidentally accuracy. And one of the things I, I want to stress to the authors is accuracy is important and you should strive for it. But accuracy is not the end all be all because novels are not set up for extreme accuracy. And the example I always give is if you want to be extremely accurate when you're writing a crime scene, then you are going to have to introduce so many different characters into your book that it's going to bog down your story and confuse your reader. But a shortcut that author, pretty much every author I know takes is they take all those people that each have an individual job on a crime scene and they make them into one person. And that one person just so happens to be your protagonist. That way your protagonist has all the information, can be everywhere, do everything, and all the information gets to the reader. Is that accurate? Absolutely not. Is it a perfectly fine shortcut in fiction? Absolutely. So – there's a balance there between accuracy and story and where are you going to fall on that? Because if you're worried about that one review you're going to get on Amazon with the person being like, nah, uh, well, the only per- the only way not to get any of those is if you introduce the, the 32 people that should actually be on the crime scene, each doing an individual job, because that's the only way that you're truly accurate. Right. Yeah. But, but sometimes shortcuts are okay. Hmm. Well, they'd still, you'd still get that bad review. doesn't matter. You still will. That's the deal. He is going to be there no matter what, so he doesn't matter, right? It's that Alabama guy. But doesn't it stand out when you're watching a show or you're watching a movie or reading a book? If you know anything about forensics and criminal investigation, there's sometimes when I'm reading a book and I, it just destroys it for me when I get to the point where it, it's not realistic anymore. Yeah, look at you flipping the script on me now. But <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, and it's what you are 100% right, and I'm right there with you. It's what I said at the beginning when you said, "What's your biggest pet peeve?" And I said, "Time of death." I that is not accurate at all, and it drives me bananas. And it's because there's nothing close to being realistic about it. Right? When you say yeah. he died within these 12 minutes, and you're absolutely right. When I see that it gets really difficult for me to continue with that story. So accuracy is Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you important as soon as, as you know right after i said don't worry about accuracy yeah. <laughs> well there's a there's a degree of which you can handle you were you know you suspend exactly. your disbelief for a certain amount but then once it crosses that line it's like hard to take it seriously exactly plus you can be accurate and not just not give as much detail like you don't have to get as as detailed in your explanation, right? What I always tell the writers who are coming to me for a consult is do your research. Find out as much as you can on how it, what is accurate, what, how is it done, what is the jargon, that sort of thing, and then make a decision. It Can you be accurate and still further the story in the way you want to do it, or does being completely accurate affect your story and then decide what's more important to you accuracy or your story and the answer should always be your story and yeah. an example i'm going to give on that is uh lab times uh, mm -hmm. your story especially if it's a crime thriller thrillers can't sit around for six months waiting <laughs> for the yeah. lab results to come back but that's accurate. You don't yeah. get your lab results back in two hours. You don't get a text on your phone with all the lab results when you just texted it in before you went to McDonald's, right? So, <laughs> um, but my question for the author is, if you're trying to build tension, can you still have tension if you start the story up again with the character six months after that? And the answer is always no. They got to go, 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 and the stakes have to rise, rise, rise. And so... They need the test results often right away, and so I'm. That's what I say to them: is then have the them have a very special lab that gives them the, the results right away. Yeah. It's not accurate, but it works for the story, and so yeah. that's the decision you have to make. I don't ever propose making a shortcut for a shortcut's sake, but figure out what the accuracy is, and then decide what the story needs. You know, right? So use my my lab in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I'm already loving it. Yeah. I have six yeah. doctors down there on call. Uh, um, now, what is your favorite part of investigating? Um, so is it the crime scene, uh, blood spatter, um, autopsies? Like, wh what is your favorite? Or I guess that's not Ooh. even the right word, but what is it that you... Um, really work out in in your mind what is it that you'd like to work on that is an interesting question i've been very fortunate in my career that i have uh had the opportunity to work so many different specialties uh i 
you know, I started off my career being uh, solely uh, a uh, specialist on crimes against children, and that that really led me down a path of uh, interview techniques and 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 interrogation techniques, which I I love. I love to be in a room with a person and and go through that process because that is that is a, an arena that is different every single time. But then I also had a, had another job in which I was the uh, chief of criminal investigations for the federal medical examiner's office, and then I was able to participate in autopsies, and I found that fascinating, the puzzle of the human body and how you can figure out what happened to that body was just – I don't want to say it's fantastic, but it was. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, – Crime scenes falls right in my wheelhouse because um, it's, I have a very anal personality. <laughs> and I love to have everything in its place and to mm-hmm. do things in a methodical manner. And so crime scenes are, are my jam. So it's really hard for me to answer that. I'm real, like, I feel like I'm absolutely telling you how great I am at everything. And that's not the case. <laughs> but let's just go with that for now. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, now we, well speaking of that now, um, now for me being in um, uh, crime radio and uh, writing true crime books and, and, and it, now over my uh, time, I've talked with a lot of cops uh, i've been to a lot mm-hmm. of courthouses i've been to a lot of prisons um seeing people in not being in them <laughs> and um listen I, there's valid research either way <laughs> yeah well i find um for myself um that um that that i could not really be out as a gay man in any of those categories and be successful in any way um, I'm so I'm not sure. I'm fascinated how you could be in federal law enforcement for so long and being in, and successful and doing that type of job and uh, being out. I just I, I just wonder how what it's like for you uh, being in it. Right now, um, it's 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 not bad, but. Um you know, full disclosure, I wasn't always. Uh, it was a very difficult... I was out to myself before I was out to friends. And I was out to friends before I was out to family. And I was out to family long before I was out to work. And a lot of the credit of me being completely out is to my husband. Uh, because he's the one who uh, showed me the importance... and on the same time showed me that it would be okay. So um, I take very little credit in being an out federal uh, investigator because um, I wasn't for the longest time of my career. Hmm. Yeah, because I found it to be still very, um, I don't know what the word would be, um, but I found it to be very, um, it, 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 it would affect how, open and how willing they were to give me evidence or give me feedback in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that's that's from my point of view of, of going out there um, and working in the business but not being in it, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it's hard for me to 
comment on that because it's not a a this is the way answer. Um, right. Because yeah. you know, in America, we have different levels of law enforcement. You have your local law enforcement, which uh, is the the towns and and cities, and that's those are the police departments. And then you have your counties, and those are the sheriff offices. Uh, you have your state level law enforcement, like the state police and state troopers, and then you have your federal uh, law enforcement, which you know, if you throw any three letters together, I guarantee you they stand for some sort of uh, federal uh, law enforcement agency. Um, and on, I've been federal, and on the federal level, and it, I can't say it's always been that way, but on the federal level, um, you are exposed to people from a lot more different backgrounds. On the police level, you're probably exposed to the folks that grew up in that village or town or city. And so it's probably a much smaller population and much easier to be close-minded if that's the area you tend to live in. Um, so it's it's hard for me to talk about that because I have been very fortunate in my career. And in my coming out process, I didn't I didn't face a lot of backlash. I also did it late in which a lot of attitudes have started to change. Um, I, I, you know, I, I sadly say that I was not a pioneer on that front, you know, but um, but that's where I am now. And I'm very grateful for it. And I think I think the world is changing and I think the world is taking some steps backwards. But uh, but I think we are in a momentum of moving forward. Yeah, overall, um, overall. One other aspect here. Now, I noticed you've had um, polygraph um, experience. Um, yeah. Now, it's used. <laughs> that's another thing that's used a lot in in uh, these shows, and you know, and and in the media, news, and cases, and all that stuff. And some people uh, swear by it, and some people say, "Well, no." You know, and, and what's your take on polygraph? I was a huge skeptic uh, about polygraph. Uh, when I was first introduced to it, um, you know, for all the reasons that everyone else is a skeptic, because uh, online you can be told how to beat it. It's not allowed in court. It's it's uh, so unreliable. Uh, and then I was selected um, in my current job to go to the polygraph school. And the deal with polygraph is there are different standards in the United States for polygraph. Um, and most of the standards depend on the state. Uh, some states require you to be licensed having to go to a, uh, a, a certified polygraph school, um, have a background check, um, and several other things. And then some states just consider it a business license. And so if you get your business license, you can hang your shingle and suddenly you're a polygraph examiner. Um, so the validity of the examiners range greatly but on the federal side of things every federal examiner goes to the federal school it doesn't matter if you are fbi or cia or dea or military if you are a federal examiner you go to the school and uh, there are very specific procedures you must follow there are very specific procedures in giving the exams in creating the questions in in interacting with the person and every result 
has to be quality controlled, which means looked at by fresh eyes. Uh, and everything is, the standards are quite high. And so having gone through the training, understanding how the polygraph works, why it works, um, its history on where it originally was told it could not be in court uh, and how that is changing uh, with that better understanding and knowing the science behind it, I'm a big, big, big proponent of it now. Uh, I think it is a great investigative technique. It is accepted in this country. Um, you know, when people say it's not allowed in court, they leave out the part that courts use polygraph. Um, uh, if you are a sexual offender and you are up for parole, one of your parole requirements may be to go get a polygraph examination every so whatever the period they decide you have to do it um, to prove that you haven't, you know, gone back to your old ways. And the court takes those results uh, of the polygraph in those situations. And those are, that's, those are serious situations. So I'm using that sort of as a, to show you that a polygraph instrument can be extremely accurate and can be extremely reliable, but it gets a bad rap because not everybody has to follow the same rules. But if you're a federal polygraph examiner, you have to follow those rules or you learn, you lose your certification. So it's more about the standard of, of the person giving the test. It's all about the person giving the test. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you um, have uh, participation in high-profile cases and attacks. So like September 11. Uh, the war in Iraq, space shuttle explosion, um, bombings in Bali. Um, what kind of um, involvement did you have in, in cases like that? Most of those cases happened while I was working for the medical examiner's office. And so uh, we were the federal level medical examiner's office. So we dealt with any high profile case, any military case, any case that was deemed as terrorism. And so when September 11 happened, we were the office that had to take care of the bodies. Now, uh, I, our office was in the D.C. area uh, at that time. Uh, I lived down there. And New York, you know, this was, this was bigger than anything our office had ever dealt with, September 11th. And we were overwhelmed, and we didn't know quite where to go because there were three different sites. Um, and during that initial, initial time, New York called and asked if they could, the New York Medical Examiner's Office uh, called and asked if they could take care of the New York bodies. And we said, yes, please, please do that. And so New York did the vast majority of the New York victims, but we did all of Pennsylvania, all of the Pentagon, and then we took over from New York afterwards. What's it like um, for someone like you that's, you know, you're involved in it and you're involved in the science and um, uh, trying to find the truth behind these cases and, and different things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, how do you deal with all the conspiracy that flies around um, about these different cases and, and uh, you know, uh, the Alex Jones type thing? And, and yeah. It, it's faked. It's not real. Those people didn't really die. And even now with all the COVID-19 and, and all the stuff about, oh, it's, it's not near what they're saying. They're making it up. It's a hoax and all this stuff. And it gets around. How do you deal with that yourself? Um, being more in the scientific and reality part of it. It's, it's uh, frustrating, uh, is the easy way to put it. I, I, I don't deal with it very well, because 
these people are speaking out of ignorance, yet they are speaking with an authority that they don't have. And it's mind-boggling to me. When every when I literally was on the grounds of the Pentagon the night of September 11th and the night of September 12th, and I saw the plane, the wheels of the plane there on the Pentagon wall, and I uh, lawn rather, and I saw where it bounced on the uh, the plane bounced off of the lawn and then bounced back up into the building. Um, I saw the damage of that and could see what actually happened and then to have you know it's it's joe from alabama again (laughs) who's who's saying oh no no this was definitely a missile attack i'm like where do you get that from you're not you're nowhere near here there's no evidence of that just some yahoo somewhere down the line said something and then somebody else took that and ran with it and next thing you know it's a conspiracy theory you know because we have to wear masks, suddenly COVID is a hoax. I don't get that. I don't get it. Um, science is a thing, and it's it's it just. Uh, you should put I that on a, a shirt. Time with it. I have a hard time with it. <laughs> That's a Jeff Simon quote. Science is a thing. Um, yeah. Well, I find it difficult because you know I'll, I'll you know we have people that even in the. Um, Columbine and stuff, and you have guests on that were you know families of members and stuff, and you go through that, and then you have people actually contacting you, going, "Well, that's fake. They're actors. It's never happened." I, I just you know I just want to call people stupid, but um, not everybody can be stupid. So how can we have so much of it? I, I, I'll I tell you, you can go crazy trying to either a figure them out or b prove what they say is ridiculous and or wrong. You can absolutely drive yourself crazy. And what took me the longest time to learn is I don't have to prove that these people are crazy and or wrong because they're crazy and wrong and they prove it themselves. (laughs) And so, listen, I just recently had some people who wanted, because I go out and I talk about John Benet Ramsey and I talk about September 11 and I talk about some cases that I've actually been a part of I just recently had some people online that wanted to question that whether or not I was actually a federal investigator, and I'm obviously just making this stuff up. And I'm like, what do you have to gain by that, by by trying to call me out? And oh, by the way, if you came to any of my actual classes, you would see me pictures of me on the crime scene. So, you know, there's that. But then it, it took me the longest time to realize I don't have to address these people. And I don't yeah. have to. I That's don't right. have to prove myself to these people because what they want is your reaction. They don't care what their words are. And so, listen, anybody who knows me knows I'm legit. And anybody who works with me knows that I am reliable. And anyone who has called me for a consult has thanked me for the expertise I've given them. And that should be enough for me. And that's what I need to teach myself. And I wish the rest of America could also teach themselves just be okay with you. These yahoos, I shouldn't use yahoos because yahoo is not necessarily a bad site. <laughs> these <laughs> yeah. these dum-dums out there that want to make a name for themselves or create a ruckus or be part of cancel culture when they don't know anything that's going on, they're just hot air. And you know what happens to hot air? It dissipates. So yeah. there you go. 
and they wouldn't accept your proof anyway. No, you know, they, they there's a never-ending empty you know hole there where they would just Listen, keep saying, "Well, you photoshopped yourself into that and whatever." The only thing that they probably would well, actually, no, I was gonna say the only thing they probably would accept is if I if I photocopied my badge and credentials and sent it to them. But then they would say, a, say that was fake, and now suddenly I have my badge of credentials out there. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're never it's just, satisfied. It's not worth it. It's they're never satisfied. So I mean, you can have scientists telling us day by day about this virus and why masks are important and why social distancing is important, and you're still going to have people who think that it's suddenly a Second Amendment thing, and they have to go march on the Capitol without <laughs> masks but with guns because that's the way you fight a virus. So listen. You don't have to prove that they are wrong or stupid. There. I, I don't know if I should be so pointed on this conversation, but no, I that's am. That's all right. Yeah. I'm always that way. And, and uh, you know, but everybody knows I work for the CIA, so. <laughs> you, I recognize you. You work for the Culinary Institute of America, Al? I didn't yeah. know that. Right. Yeah, I cook them, cook them real good. What if you just ended up this, this entire interview just talking about food now? Yeah, <laughs> no, that's it. No, it's uh, well, no, it's. I find it interesting, and it's like, um, I just don't know where it's all going to go. There's such a challenge for science right now, and uh, and uh, even uh, and and when you uh, have been on a case too, like it's popular, like it's like the Chandra Levy and that stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. You, if you take a, a logical scientific approach to something and kind of make statements. Um, direct it from that all of a sudden you have people attacking you because they don't like what you're saying you know uh, mm -hmm. it's more personal so I, I again how I don't know how you can deal with uh, not staying focused you you learn to tune out you learn to stay focused because all that all that other stuff that you just brought up that's a distraction. Uh, uh, let me let me say it this way. A lot of people ask me two pointed questions about my career when they when they learned everything that I've been involved in. How did you deal with investigating crimes against children, and how did you deal with being in an autopsy suite? And my answer to both of those is the same answer. When you are investigating crimes that affect kids, the kid, no matter what the outcome, is going to lose. They, if, if it's an abusive situation, you are either going to, for the kid's own good, take the kid out of the house, which means you're taking that child out of the only security, as little as it may have been, only love, as may as it will have been, as little as it may have been, that they've ever known. You are taking that away from them. But you certainly can't leave them in there. Because yeah. there is an abusive situation. So the kid loses no matter what. And so when they say, how do you investigate child cases and you don't get emotional? I say, I can't, I can't afford to be distracted by emotions because there's nobody there for that child. The child loses. I have to be the one who steps up and does the right thing for that child because no matter what happens, that child loses. And so I have an obligation and a responsibility. Same thing in autopsy suite. We are the last medical examination that this human will ever have. And it's our responsibility to honor them enough to find out what happened to them, to have the remains tell us what's going on. Because 
that's our obligation and that's our responsibility. And if I'm going to be emotional or if I'm going to be uh, find it gross or if I'm going to whatever else emotion you want to put in there, I'm not doing my my obligation to that person. Um, and so it's the same thing when you have all this noise out there, all this negativity and all these armchair experts, quote unquote, and all this other stuff. It, if someone wants to attack me, come attack me because you don't matter and your noise and my obligation and my responsibility is to find the evidence that will either prove or disprove this allegation. And I owe it to the victim or the person on trial to do the best job I can and collect the, the, the finest evidence that I can in the correct way. And all this other noise back there, keep talking because hot air dissipates, you know? Well, maybe you want to give out your address so people can come get you if they're going to attack you. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Okay, you have a pen? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll send every, everyone we can find. Um, well, um, what can I say? I, one, one last thing. Does, has this changed the way you act toward people? Like, like uh, what I mean is, when you see all this stuff, like you're in the how how children have been mistreated and 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 murder scenes and all this stuff for years, do you automatically um, are you on guard? Is what I'm saying. Like, uh, do you always think because mm. people do a lot of really nasty things, right? They do. Um, and so, and when you're dealing with it firsthand, I say that because my. Um, how we used to be with the um, RCMP like years and years ago and I found during that time he was always looking for the people the bad in people and, uh, and so it's hard for me to to, to kind of get that so um, does that has that happened to you yes um, I don't want to say I'm looking for the bad in people although I know why he said it that way I think when I'm done saying what I'm going to say, it'll probably be the same thing. But it's not that I look for the bad in people. It's always that I am aware. And yeah, what I mean yeah. by that is if we go out to a restaurant, which is not now, by the way, because we used to go out to restaurants, <laughs> I will, if I at all possible, I will position myself so that my back is against the wall. And that's not because I'm nervous about anyone that's behind me, but that's because I want to see the room. I want to see who's there. I want to see what's happening, and I want to see the exit points. I am comfortable having knowledge, and I am constantly observing, and I am constantly aware. And if there is a screaming child, I am aware, and I pay attention. Now, does that mean I get involved? No, because... You don't know what is going on. You don't know if that child is throwing a tantrum. You don't know if that child has a legitimate issue. Um, or you don't know if something is actually going on. So be aware and just ignorance is not an excuse for this line of work. And so I am always analyzing the people I'm around. And that probably doesn't make any of my friends feel comfortable now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and that's what I, that's sort of what I mean, and that's sort of I, I'm used to seeing that in someone else anytime we're going somewhere. The same thing, back to the wall in a restaurant. It's just yeah. I'm used to it now from being on the other side of it and being with it. But I just wonder if that 
that affected you. That's all. If it, 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 it must bring you kind of some sort of, I mean, you've seen a lot of bad things, and you that people do, and that's it's got a it's got to wear on you. That's all. That's kind of what I, I mean. Believe it or not, though, in that you also see a lot of good things, and that's right. So, a lot people are going to let you down, and on the flip side of that, people are going to surprise the heck out of you. You know, on a good way. And so, um, so with all that is my answer, yes. I'm, I forgot the question. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's <laughs> all good. We're all happy here. It's That's one of the things that always interests me about true crime since I was a kid was how society reacts to it, how the good people rise up and try to help and, you know, the dedication of law enforcement people. So there's always, you know, there's a dark side of these stories, but there's also some positive stories in them too. Yeah. 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 When they go low, we go high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, um, now, uh, Jeff, let's talk about your website and books and stuff like that. So, where do people get a hold of you? I uh, am pretty much the only Jeff Simon I know that's out there on the internet interwebs. Uh, Jeff with a G, Simon with a Y. So, uh, my my Facebook and Twitter are the Jeff Simons. You'll know me by my perfect profile picture of the blue background, white fingerprint. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, uh, but my books can be found pretty much anywhere books are sold online or or out in the world. But uh, but I have a website forensicsforfiction.com, or you can go to jeffsimon.com and it takes you there as well. Uh, and again, the forensic for fiction I have three out right now, um, and they are just uh, uh, topic specific forensic books uh, to help uh, introduce uh, the author to uh, different uh, forensic. Uh, topics, techniques. Fantastic. We all have that on our website as well, so Thanks. listeners can just do one click and find you. And um, if they email me, I'll give them your uh, home address and they can come get you. <laughs> um, I, I warned you about him. You did. You did. I, yeah, I should I have been aware. Be aware. <laughs> well, our guest has been Jeff Simon, uh, Forensics for Fiction, and uh, we appreciate you talking to us today. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me. I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.